Hey, welcome to the Pharmacy Residency Podcast, a member of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. I'm on with Nate Hedrick, who is a real estate agent. I was a real estate agent in my past life, so I'm super excited to talk to him about it. Uh, but I haven't done it since, uh, let's see, 2008, 2009, though I own houses. So I'm excited to talk to him about some of the good things that you can and can't do uh, after you graduate. So we'll talk about residents graduating and we'll also talk maybe about those that are going into residency. Maybe it is or isn't a good idea uh, to buy a house. So Nate, welcome to the Pharmacy Residency Podcast. Thanks, Tony. Happy to be here. Awesome. So let's just uh, give you a, give your quick uh, introduction. I know you've done, I think, over 50 episodes in your uh, sub uh, podcast, I guess you would call it. Um, yeah. But tell us a little bit about yourself and the, and the podcast that you have. Yeah, yeah. We're just about to cross the year mark, which is graduated from Ohio University as a pharmacist back in 2013. And around the time I should have been getting my uh, board certification after residency, I decided instead to get my real estate license, uh, which <laughs> felt totally random at the time, but it just, I wanted to diversify my options, right? And just keep, keep things open. And so really fell in love with, with real estate um, and have, again, been, been licensed since 2017. And now I work as a, a pharmacist full-time and a real estate agent on nights and weekends and run the podcast when I, whenever else I can find spare time. So we, we primarily work with, uh, on the podcast, we talk about real estate investing mm-hmm. and real estate investing for pharmacists. But as a real estate agent here in Cleveland, Ohio, where I'm located, I do first time home buyers all the way to home selling, home flipping, you, you name it, we, we help with that. So all across the board. Okay. Well, let's, uh, real estate's a huge, huge topic. Uh, so Let's talk about something that you, you wanted to mention, which is house hacking, which I think is fun. And yeah. I'll talk about kind of how I did it when I started after you kind of first explain what house hacking is and maybe some of the ways that people that you know have, have done that. Yeah. House hacking is one of those things where uh, someone will ask me, Nate, what, what, what did you wish you did when you were in residency? Or what did you wish you would have done when you bought your first house? And had I known about house hacking, I really would have considered it. But the idea, the core concept is that you're buying traditionally a multifamily property, either a duplex, a triplex, or a quad. You're you're buying that property, living in one of the units, and then renting out the other two or three or four units, whatever it happens to be. And what that allows you to do is to collect income from your tenants, your neighbors, basically. And you can live in that house for essentially free. And in some cases, if you do it really well, you could put money back in your pocket. So it's a great way to kind of get started with real estate investing in a very light format, um, but while also being able to buy a primary residence and, and, and live there yourself. Okay. Yeah. So when I graduated pharmacy school, I actually went to the, the Valley, Phoenix, and man, do I wish I'd kept all of the houses. Uh, but I, I bought I bought a house and this is a condo, two bedroom condo. And I, I did something like that. I did have a roommate. So I had a little bit of income coming in from the side. Uh, but what I did was I, I first made a mistake. I bought a one bedroom on the first floor. And this is the first couple lessons I learned was one, don't buy on the first floor if there's somebody right above you. Uh, that was loud. Two, you never want to rent a place that has one toilet. Because yep. if the toilet has a problem, you have an emergency. So I actually sold that house uh, very quickly. So within the first year, I went through my first condo and, and first mistake and went to a two bedroom on the second floor with two bathrooms. <laughs> and that, that was my, my first kind of uh, lesson into it. So tell me a little bit about maybe the experience of one of the people that have been on your podcast. If you have an episode number, that'd be great. If not, that's fine. But give us an example that someone's that maybe maybe in their first five years. So it's not a huge quad, you know, quad or something like that, but 
maybe something a little bit smaller where they just got into it and they had really tremendous advantages because they were using it as their primary. I assume they would get a little bit better uh, rate uh, with that. Yeah. So actually, uh, one of the pharmacists we had on the show back on uh, episode 11, I think it was, I'll have to check and, and look okay. at that, but Nate Mackey, um, great pharmacist out in New York and Binghamton, New York. And he did exactly that. He bought a three unit place. It had a, a big kind of monster unit on the bottom floor and then two units on the upper floors. And um, again, the bank looks at that as a single purchase. They don't look at that as a commercial loan okay. because it's under four units or it's four units. That's or under. the magic number, four units, right? Exactly. So he bought that as uh, just the same way or, or very similar to how you would purchase a single family home and was able to live in one of those units, rent out the others to his family uh, or to, to some, some family and some friends. And uh, again, basically live there for free, which is, which is really cool. And I, I've heard of others doing this again, Nate, Nate was on the show. So I have his examples a little mm-hmm. bit uh, closer to closer to mine, but I've heard others are doing this where you've got renting out the room where you're even talking about a single family property, but you're renting out multiple rooms and, and then, you know, sharing the property itself. So there's a lot of different ways you can slice it. Okay. Yeah. I remember uh, when we actually did residency. My wife and I did it at the same time, couples match, all that stuff. Well, it was actually the old scramble, which is now phase two. But we, she's like, I've got good news and bad news, basically. The good news is I found us a place because I, in Iowa City, I wanted to live near the college. I wanted college football on the weekends and those types of things. The bad news is, is it's really expensive. Mm -hmm. And so we got a place that actually had a kitchen in the basement and a kitchen upstairs and we rented out to this guy downstairs and he ended up buying a house, I think at the end of the, close to the residency period. But uh, even as residents, we kind of went with that um, college, uh, what you want to call it, college budget, I guess you would right. call it, uh, where we were like, all right, well, we're going to still have a roommate because we just got married, both going to be residents. Uh, and that money is not really uh, rolling in. Not that it necessarily does uh, that much anymore, but, but anyway, <laughs> but that, that was kind of what our, our decision there. Uh, tell me a little bit about this market and how someone would position themselves. I've heard of people renting a home in their market because it's actually cheaper and manageable and then getting into real estate in a completely different state. And I'll, I'll let you kind of give me your experience and I'll give you mine. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think uh, I've heard of multiple individuals who live in California, New York City, Hawaii, um, don't even own property there because the, the down payment required and all the right. things that would, that would go into that are just so astronomically high. And then they can come out to the Midwest where I'm right. at and buy a house for a hundred K. It's just it's unfathomable <laughs> in some of those markets. Yeah. So um, yeah, there's, there's examples of that where people are coming and, and saying, look, it doesn't make sense to buy here. I'm not gaining anything by buying locally, but the overall market is still worth buying in somewhere. And so I'm going to go out and do that, you know, out of state. I, I, I definitely have seen that. Okay. So I actually own a home in Arizona and I'm glad I bought it. I bought it in 2018 and, and I wanted a condo because I had done that house hacking, but I sold it. I sold it just after the crash as the, the prices were kind of coming up. And so I said, I want to get back in. And I got back in 65,000 more than I left. So still wasn't terrible. So to, to give the numbers, I bought my place for a hundred thousand. God, just kills me. And then I had to buy the same place, but now I bought a three bedroom, two bath uh, for 165 in 2018. And now I've got people offering close to 350 for it. And yeah, we wish all we go back in time and I'll I'll have that kind of success. But when I did that, I still have not stepped into that home. 
I've never actually been in the home. I've been in the hot tub and pool because my <laughs> parents didn't heat their Mesa, Arizona pool yet, or they wasn't built yet. So my kids are like, we want to go to the pool. It's like, all right, well, I got the code to the gate. We can go That's to awesome. my pool. We just can't go in the house. There are people living there. Um, and so we did that. But I've never actually seen the home. Tell me a little bit about investing in areas that you know and maybe don't know. Now, I had lived in Tempe, so I kind of knew the area. I knew the real estate agent. I trusted them. Uh, as many trust you. Uh, tell me a little bit about working with investors where you're kind of doing some of the legwork and they're kind of relying on you to say, well, there's kind of this deal and, you know, it's up to you if you want it, you know, and, and kind of go from there. But tell me a little bit about how you uh, work with investors specifically. Yeah. And I've done it on, on both sides, actually, right? I, I'm an out-of-state investor myself, uh, okay. as well as an in-state investor. So I get to see it from both directions, helping people come to Ohio and also going out and buying okay. uh, you know, externally as well. So I own property out in Michigan. Okay. And the reason we looked at Michigan originally for ourselves was that we wanted to uh, burr a property. And if you're not familiar with that term, it stands for buy, rehab, rent, refinance, and repeat. Okay. And the basic idea is that you, you purchase a property that is very in various states of disrepair, you fix it up dramatically, you rent it out to somebody, great paying tenant, you have a really nice clean place to live. Uh, and then you go back to the bank and it's worth more. So you can pull the cash back out through a sure. refinance. And so that's hard to do in markets where it's very expensive, right? Because then your, your costs are going up right alongside that. So we looked at Michigan and there were a couple areas in Michigan where we could buy houses for 40, 50, $60,000, which is just crazy in most areas right. of the country. Um, and these are still high quality locations that really are on the rise. And so we looked at that and said, let's, let's do that. And coordinating with an outside agent, coordinating with an outside property manager, again, as people are coming to me locally, the same thing, it, it, it can be tricky. Um, a lot of it comes from having somebody on the ground that you can trust and they can coordinate the hard stuff, right? So whether I'm doing it externally or having someone come to me, that's the, that the role that I think is most essential to fill having someone local that you, that you know, and trust. Mm -hmm. And there are, again, we can go through the ways to find someone like that, but having yeah. someone local like that and knowing that that individual has the contacts that you need. So I, I helped a couple last year in California, buy a house here in Cleveland, uh, investment property. Mm -hmm. And we needed everything from a foundation expert to uh, somebody to do the, the rehab, somebody to do the property management. They needed in, uh, basically lenders that could work here. I mean, the whole gambit. And that's something that, that, again, local boots on the ground can actually provide. So when, when I'm looking at those kind of investments and, and finding someone to trust, tell me a little bit about some of the things that you want to do in terms of that kind of investment. I know that many people will say, don't mess with condos. And we can maybe talk about that next. But because I have a condo and I have an association, a lot of the stuff is taken care of. Yep. And I only own the air between the walls. I don't even think I own the walls, right? <laughs> I think legally I don't own the walls, right. uh, but that's a good fit for me there. In town, I wanted a duplex. Well, I, I own a duplex. So I own a townhouse basically that has, you know, it's, it's just part of one other townhouse, but there is no homeowners association. And that was intentional because there's a condo association here that you must be 86% owner occupied which means I would not be able to rent it probably unless there was only one other renter there. So first, tell me some considerations that are maybe a little bit different when you're investing in a home, uh, especially as you did in Michigan, 
versus you're getting something for yourself. Yeah, I think I think you, you hit the nail on the head, right? It's very area specific. There are times where an HOA and a condo and all the, the kind of the maintenance-free living um, that goes with that can be really advantageous. The, the two areas I think that, that helps the most is when one, you're going to be living there, especially as a resident or especially as a new graduate pharmacist. I don't want to be working on maintenance stuff all year round, right? I'd love for that to be <laughs> yeah. taken care of for me, yeah. especially during residency. I'm barely home. The last thing I want to do is find time to cut the grass, right? Something like that. So I think if you're going to be the one living there, that maintenance free living is, is fantastic. The other time an HOA can be really beneficial is if you are renting it out um, like as an Airbnb or as a property that's oh, a yeah, yeah. vacation rental home, because then you can just really turn off the, the maintenance stuff. It's done for you already. And you might get other amenities that you wouldn't otherwise be able to, to, to receive. So, you know, pool access, tennis courts, whatever that, that particular oh, yeah. property has. But there are times where that HOA can be really crippling. I, I just yeah. had a conversation this morning with a pharmacist who is being sued by their HOA because they just <laughs> moved into a new house. And they sent them a bill, but it went to the old person that was living there. So they never received it. Okay. So now they're behind on their HOA dues. So they got okay. a lawsuit filed against them. They have to go finish and clean up. So it's like, I just moved in. Thanks for this letter. This is great. <laughs> so, you know, it, it can be to your advantage and, and uh, again, against you in some cases too. Yeah, I remember uh, I got in trouble for my queen palm. I was not properly taking care of my queen palm in Arizona and somebody <laughs> gotten a hold of me and I was like, I just did. And I, I regret selling that house at whatever it was, 250, which is now worth 550 or something like that. But, but yeah, that was, that was definitely uh, uh, we'll call it a mistake. All right. Well, let's, let's kind of go through the gamut. Let's start with maybe condos, then to townhouses, then to single family homes uh, mm -hmm. and then multiple family. Uh, so let's start with the condo pros and cons. Let's, let's, just what, what are your, what are your yeah. recommendations and what are your, well, you're never recommending. You're really just saying there's this and there's that you, yep. the client make the decision. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, when you're talking about a condo, right, you're usually talking about a, a larger or taller building. Um, we're going to have multiple levels, right? And so, like you said, factoring in, do you want to be high up? Is there an elevator that you can access right. or do you want to be low down and have a bunch of people over, overhead potentially, you know, knocking on the ceiling? So I think with a condo, you're looking at things like what is the HOA and what does it cover? Um, and what are some of the rules of that particular condo association? You know, how often can I use, um, you know, the, the amenities there or how do I access them? What do I pay to get it? get to those things. Um, it's, it really is like apartment living when you're talking about in a condo. So you have to kind of treat it that same way. All right. So um, in terms of rising values, though, I have found that condos will shoot up, but they will also shoot down. Yeah. Um, and that's why I'm sitting here right now. Like, do I renew or do I just get out? Like this is, you know, the interesting uh, thing about condos is that you have such um, such good comparable properties. So mm -hmm. when you're selling a home, right, one of the first things you're going to look at or that your real estate agent's going to look at is, what are the comparable homes in the right. areas that are sold so we can help determine value? Right. Well, with a condo, you have 45 units in the same building that are all the <laughs> yeah, same, right? It's all exactly two right. bedroom, yeah. one bath, yeah. uh, you know, 1,100 square feet, and you can look at it that. So you're right. When it starts to go up, everything goes with it. But when it starts to go down, you've got comparable properties that make yeah. it go down right alongside it. So typically what I see is, is if, you're, if there's some sort of... Um, like assessment or fee, mm -hmm. you'll start to see those values go down where maybe yeah. the, the condo association has decided, hey, we need a new roof or a new elevator. And so we're going to charge everybody or it's yeah. going to be pulled out of the fund and we have right. to raise the rates. And that's when people start to sell and they start to sell fast and, and values go down. Where values go up is when the market in general has gone up so much that 
you have others that are just looking for a place to purchase and mm-hmm. the condo is available. And so they go for it. And then you see, see those values kind of follow and, and everybody follows alongside it. Yeah. I've gotten those letters. Uh, we're going to repave. Oh, Yep, exactly. exactly. It's like, I thought that was a 75 year roof. What, what is going on? It's <laughs> tile. What's going yep, on? <laughs> exactly. All right. So uh, after Iowa City and, and residency, we, we lived in a townhouse and I said, okay, we'll just, just get a townhouse in, in town. And my wife's like, no, no, <laughs> we are getting a four bedroom home. And I was like, whoa, okay. I was a little surprised by that, but um, we ended up with three children right away. And it was good that, you know, listen to your wife in general, but tell me a little bit about um, what, I'm, I don't know why this Adobe screen popped up. Uh, tell me a little bit about why we would maybe choose a townhome uh, versus a, a single family home. Yeah, a townhome is kind of a nice mix between condo living and a single family home, right? You're usually sharing walls or sharing a roof of some kind. Um, and there's typically a homeowner's association or agreement in place that covers some of those bigger maintenance pieces. So especially if you're in like a middle unit and you may not have a lot of lawn or a lot of grass, right. that might even include you know maintenance of that of that lawn and grass. So the nice thing about a townhome often is that you get a little more of that feel of living in your own place, right? right. It's a really separate place. You're not walking past other people's doors all the time, but you get that shared responsibility of maybe there's someone to cut the grass and take care of the roof if it breaks or, or things like that. So it's that kind of a middle ground where you're still sharing walls, but you're not sharing floors and ceilings at the same time in most cases. Okay. So this is kind of an adjunct to that. Tell me a little bit, this is what was my favorite part about being a real estate agent, especially with couples, regardless of their relationship. How do couples get through those types of things? Because what usually ends up happening is there's one person that wants something and they care so much about the price and that's not going to happen with all the things the other person wants. And then somewhere in between there, there's compromise. Tell me about the value of a real estate agent when it comes to that kind of intermediary, because that, that was just, I remember these exact words from one of my clients. He's like, did you not hear? My wife said she loves it. This is the home. <laughs> I do feel a little bit like I'm a relationship counselor sometimes and not a real estate agent. Like I, I'm like, okay, here's my couch. My fee is $45,000. Like that's what I need. Yeah. So one of the ways, it's funny you mentioned that, but one of the things that I like to do up front is I'll send out a needs wants checklist. It's a okay. checklist that I built. It's like five pages long and it sounds ridiculous, but it's a great way for if the, the husband fills it out or the, the one partner fills it out and the other partner fills it out separately. And then we come together and we talk about it. And if they're totally on different pages, then that's a, you guys need to go talk and figure out how to get on the same page. Okay. So, Cause that can really help. And if you just jump right into looking at homes, you might not even realize what one person likes versus the other. Right. Um, so, so I, I like to start with that needs wants checklist. It's a great way to kind of get everybody on the same page or at least working in that direction. Um, and then when we figure out budget, I'm really careful about let's set our budget. Let's figure out what that budget is. And then don't look at houses over that budget. Oh yeah. It's easy oh, to yeah. set a budget at 400,000 and fall in love with a $500,000 yeah. house. It's going to happen, yeah. right? It's yeah. way too easy. So having those meetings up front and, and again, whether you've got a great real estate agent or not, you can do this, right? Establish what your needs and wants are up front, establish your budget up front and, and try not to deviate from that. It'll, it'll save it from, from going crazy. Awesome. All right. Well, let's move on to kind of the single family home and some of the things that you want and don't want. Remember we actually bought during the crash. Mm-hmm. So so many people were upside down. It was actually to find 
tough to find a home that they could get out of at a price that would appraise. Uh, now it's kind of the opposite, super crazy. Uh, but mm-hmm. I just remember basically that as soon as I saw that the kitchen island was long enough that my wife could literally lay down on it, <laughs> I think this kitchen is big enough. I think right. this, this, this part of it is there. And I remember there was unfinished basement, which was kind of nice because it reduced the cost going in. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a deck um, and, and some of the other things that, that worked out really well. Um, tell me a little bit about the things that, that your clients look for when looking for a single family home and, and kind of some of the ways that um, maybe you could get into a single family home rather than a townhouse in this market. Because I know some people are, are making decisions. All right, well, we can only afford a condo. We can only afford a townhouse. Right. You know, the biggest thing I think you start with is location. Um, Location drives pretty much everything from school districts to what you're going to be able to access in terms of amenities to appreciation. Um, And and so starting with that location can be really beneficial. Um, It can also help set your budget, right? If I'm in one school district, the price might be 300,000 as the average price, but just a couple of streets down another school district, it might be 500,000. So it can really affect, you know, which properties you're picking. So, so start there. Um, and then in terms of how to win those bids, right, and how, how to get into that, there are numerous strategies. I think that with the way the market is going, it's so competitive out there in terms right. of putting offers on properties. Um, you know, there are people waiving inspections, which I do not recommend. Oh, there are people no. paying for yeah. what's called appraisal gap coverage, meaning yeah. if the house doesn't appraise, mm-hmm. I'll cover that difference in, in right. terms of, uh, you know, out of, out of cash, out of my pocket. So there's there's some, some craziness going on. But you really have to look at things as as what is the market value of that home and can I afford that, right? And if you and if it goes over market value or, or significantly over market value, it's probably time to, to take a step back. I get the question all the time, Nate, how much sh- should I pay over asking before it's unreasonable? Is it 5%? Is it 10%? And I say, <laughs> I know. It doesn't matter, right? Yeah. The, the asking price is arbitrary. The yeah. agent and the sellers got together and they determined what that asking price was mm-hmm. and it's made up, right? It literally right. is made up. What matters is market value. And so yeah. if you're looking at a property and determining what to offer, ask your agent, what is good market value for this property? Or what do you think is market value? And what are the, the comparable properties that support that? Because that's how you can make you know better, more data-driven decisions. Okay. All right. So let's um, finish up by splitting up those that are residents that are going to be moving somewhere mm-hmm. and maybe only be there for a year or two. And then those that are graduating. So let's start with the residents. Uh, as a residency, we just rented, had somebody downstairs, but I've heard of residents buying um, yep. and kind of knowing that's where they want to go. Uh, have you worked with any residents? Because I know that their income is so low, but some of them don't have debt. 17% of pharmacy students graduating don't have debt. But just yesterday, no, two weeks ago on the Dave Ramsey show, a pharmacist graduated from an Ohio college with $482,000 in debt. So so you have the gamut. Um, But tell me a little bit about, uh, have any residents uh, been able to buy or is that kind of, are they kind of priced out right now? Yeah, actually, I worked with a resident here uh, two years ago that was a resident at the Cleveland Clinic for two years. They were on a two-year admin residency. They bought a condo. Uh, They think they paid around 90,000 for it, lived in that (laughs) condo for the two years they were in residency, and then just flipped it and sold it for like 110. So they they worked out you know, pretty well. But yeah. for most residents, like you said, if you don't have the the down payment or mm-hmm. the um, the income, quite frankly, it's, it's certainly harder to buy. Yeah. Um, what I would advocate for is that if you are going to purchase a property as a resident, 
uh, I, I'd really recommend looking at it from, from two different approaches. One is, can I house hack it, right? Like we mentioned mm-hmm. at the very top, right. can we have roommates? Can we mitigate the cost of this, this property in some way? Because that can really set you up for success. Um, and if I do move out, right, in a year or two, can I, do I expect the, the market to, to do well? And that's a really difficult question to answer. <laughs> that's, but, a, that's a coin flip. <laughs> right, exactly. But if not, can I rent this property out? And that's a good way to say, look, no matter what, I've got multiple exit strategies so that I don't feel like I'm, I'm locking myself into something mm-hmm. and I have to hope that the market works out, right? I don't want to always rely on that. So if you're going to do it, definitely recommend having those multiple exit strategies. It will just set you up for more financial success down the road. Yeah. And, and when I looked at places, I would always pay more to get the better location. And sure. then it would be, okay, we can get rid of the roommate as soon as we get rid of the PMI or something like that, where, you know, we exactly. paid a fifth of the house off or it's a couple percentage more than that. Something, something a little bit goofy. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Okay. So now let's talk about somebody. Okay. They've done it. Undergrad pharmacy school, PGY one, maybe PGY two, maybe a fellowship, <laughs> right? but they've, they've done their time. When they go to the bank, they're going to be like, well, I get you're going to make this, but you have not been making this. Um, have you run into that where somebody's graduating in their future income and their past income is not in accord or, or with what they're, they're trying to buy? Yeah. So your typical lender is going to want to see two years of tax returns showing right. that you've been making this money for a certain period of time. But like you said, we're just getting out of residency, right, fellowship, right. whatever. Yep. I want this house now. And I was yeah. in the exact same boat. I graduated okay. from residency and was like, all right, time to buy a house. Like that's the next thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, a lot of lenders out there will use your future salary. If you have a degree like a pharmacy degree, right? They're going to be looking at that and saying, you have a very high potential of income. And as soon as you have a letter in hand from your employer that says, yep, Nate's going to be hired on June 1st or July 1st, and here's his starting salary. That can often be enough to get you over that edge with, with the, the lender. You might pay a little more in terms of interest rate mm-hmm. um, or, or potentially upfront points because of the, the potential risk that you pose. Right. But in most cases, the lender will be able to work with you. And I encourage you also to look at some of the lenders out there that work specifically with physicians or pharmacists. Those okay. can be really beneficial in knowing what you're going through and giving you great rates because they understand what a pharmacist is going to look like in terms of their career path. Okay. And with that, there's always the 0% doctor loan, Yep. which I think you and, and Tim have kind of talked about that in the past before, but uh, just maybe go over some of the advantages of the 0%, which is infinite return and infinite loss. Right. And then the 20%, where if you have it, um, you know, then uh, you, you kind of have a cushion with things. But maybe maybe kind of the differences between those choices are 0, 5, and 20, whichever way you want to go with it. Yeah. So with the pharmacist home loan or the physician's loan, like you said, with very low down, anywhere between zero and 3% in most cases, mm-hmm. you can afford a lot more house in terms of, of not having to save with that right. down payment. But on the back end, your mortgage payment is going to be significantly higher. And so you could easily lock yourself in with those golden handcuffs of now I've got this huge mortgage payment and I didn't, I have no equity in the house because I, right. I basically put nothing down. So the biggest downside to that obviously is that you've got that higher mortgage payment and, and no equity. So if there is a downturn and you need to sell, quickly, you know, you're underwater on that house. The, the, the alternative to that, right, is, is putting more down, 10, 20% down, so that you instantly have equity. And if you go to sell the property, you, you've got some kind of cushion there if the property does go down in value. 
Um, but it's hard to save up, especially in these higher cost living areas, right? If I'm talking about a $500,000 house, right. now I need a hundred grand in cash down. Like that's my whole year's salary as a brand new pharmacist. I, <laughs> yeah. I don't have that to save up. I got to pay off student yeah. loans. Exactly. So, so it can be intimidating looking at that 20% down. And, and again, if you're in a market where you're ready to buy now, everything else is lining up right. The rest of your financial plan is in a good space. It, it might be okay to go with one of those 0% down or 3% down options just because it can can get you access to that property more quickly. Makes sense. Yeah. And with condos, I think the the preference is to 25%. And I remember my lender just being super excited when I was like, well, I mean, I've got 25%. Is that easier? He's like, oh my God, it makes my life so much easier, <laughs> so much better. Yes, 25%. Yep, definitely. Because that, that uh, fluctuation we talked about in condos. All right. Well, I asked you a lot of questions. Is there anything that maybe I missed uh, that we want to make sure we include? I don't think I included in the actual uh, podcast that uh, you are able to help them regardless of what state they're in, but maybe talk a little bit more of that and then anything that I missed. Yeah. So we, uh, one of the things that I ran into when I first bought my first house and, and started again, working as a real estate agent was that I quickly realized how important it is to have a really, really good real estate agent on your team. Um, I, I had a fine experience when I bought my first house, but it could have been a lot better. And so what we looked at was, okay, well, can we find ways to help people interview real estate agents and go through that? And it's, it can be frankly overwhelming. And so what we created was the real estate concierge service, a completely free service available to anybody that wants to access it. We will actually go out, we'll do a 30 minute planning call with you to talk about what your needs are, what your budget is, what kind of home you're looking for, where you're looking to buy, all those different things, what your goals are, and then help you get connected with a great real estate agent in your market. Um, what that does is it gets you off on the really great foot. So you're not worrying about interviewing agents yourself. You're not worrying about, you know, is this person have my best interest in mind? We're kind of taking care of that, that work for you up front. So um, if you go over to realestaterph.com um, or even uh, www.yfprealestate.com, either one of those will work. You can access our free concierge service and we'll get you connected with me where you can then, again, have that great phone conversation. And uh, from there, we'll get you connected with a really great real estate agent. We've done this with dozens of dozens of pharmacists all over the country. So even if you're in a place where we've not previously had an agent working with someone, we can go out and interview new agents. So don't feel like you have to uh, be in a certain location. Okay. We can help anybody anywhere. Okay. And then anything I missed? No, I mean, this is great. Like I said, I just, I, I really advocate for uh, if you're a resident or recently graduating resident, look at your options, educate yourself about the process. I think when I bought my first house, the only education I did was let's look at Zillow and see what houses are available. Right? <laughs> I just jumped right in. Yeah. Um, and then let's call the bank and see what our budget is. Like, that's not the approach I want you guys to take. Really step <laughs> back, think about what your budget is for a home. Think about what things you need to learn up front. Um, and, and there are great resources out there to do that. So make sure you tap into those before just jumping right in. Yeah, I, I would actually always run around the neighborhoods I kind of wanted to, to go see. And I, I like running and all that stuff. But there was something about being able to kind of be there and see it. And, and while I would love to be able to rent for a year, that just wasn't an option as we came back to Iowa. It's just like, we just need a house. So yep. we got one as quick as we could. And then the, um, uh, your contact information. I think you guys use WordPress, so you probably got a contact form on realestaterph.com. Is that right? Yep. Yep. You can go right there. Um, there's actually a link to click uh, basically to connect with me. Um, you can say, I think it says need an agent. Um, so yeah, you can you can check that out. Um, or you can connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, again, yep. Nate Hedrick on LinkedIn. That'd be a great place to find me as well. Okay. Just to make sure it's N-A-T-E-H-E-D-R-I-C-K. No N in the middle, no S at the end. Correct. Yes. Yeah, so there's a lot of <laughs> other versions of Hedrick out there, but I'm, I'm the, the simpler one. So. <laughs> okay, great. All right. Well, thanks so much for being on the Pharmacy Residency Podcast.
Thanks for having me, Tony.